I want to jump in uh, to our message today as we conclude a series we've been calling House of Prayer. And uh, I want to go to Matthew chapter 21 at first. Uh, that's going to be our text uh, that we've used for the series. And then we're going to go to Luke chapter 22. Uh, so if you can find two spots, there you go. Matthew chapter 21 and Luke chapter 22. Matthew 21, 12 says, Jesus entered the temple courts and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called, you say it, a house of prayer. He said, but you have made it a den of thieves. Jesus clarifies what the ultimate purpose of the church should be, and it was to be a house of prayer. Now, the Bible teaches us this, that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, dwells in us, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, which means this, not only is this a house of prayer, but you're a house of prayer, that the Spirit of God dwells in us as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come, which means that, that God has created and designed us to connect with Him. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 says, before you were formed in your mother's womb, God knew you. He sets you apart. He calls, this, this is what that means. You were created with, in, with eternity in mind. You were created with everything you need to connect with God. In fact, before God gave you skills to be a businessman or businesswoman, before God gave you skills uh, to be a husband, a wife, a dad, a mom, God gave you skills to connect with him. That our first ministry should be unto the Lord. That's how we are created. That's how we were designed, that we are houses of prayer. And you know what? For too long, people have looked to this house to be the house of prayer, but neglected the house that is within them. And what we believe God's doing right now is raising up a church of Jesus Christ that is not just coming to the house once a week and, 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 and attending prayer, but every day they're living out through their daily connection with God that they are houses of prayer. Houses of Prayer. Luke chapter 22 is a, a passage of scripture. I, I love the book of Luke. Luke was written by one of the disciples named Luke. I know, I know. Uh, and he was a doctor. And you find in the account, in Luke's account of the Gospels, you find details that you don't find in any of the other Gospels, probably because of his occupation. He had more attention to detail. I like doctors that have pay attention to detail. It's important. If you're a doctor, please do that. It's, it's needed. He, he, he writes in, and includes some things you don't even see in some of the other Gospels. Luke chapter 22, verse 39, it says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, I'm just going to stop just real quick because i got to give you this because sometimes I can't get through the whole thing without giving you something. He, he says, he went out as usual which means this was his practice. This is something he did often. This is something he did regularly. And he says, and when they came to the place, this is what Jesus had. This is, this is, this is prayer 101. You need a time and you need a place. Since Jesus went as usual, and when he got to the place, you need a time and place that you meet with God. Since the disciples followed him on reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. He knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. 
An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. That'll just, we could preach that for the rest of the time. Being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. Sometimes when people are in anguish, they pray less. When Jesus was in anguish, he prayed more. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Now, for me, I've always given the disciples a hard time because I judge them aggressively. Um, because I'm like, Jesus is sweating drops of blood. This man is about to die on the cross, and this is not a mystery. Jesus is walking with his disciples, and he keeps on telling them, they're going to kill me. I'm going to be raised from the dead. All right, so it's like this is, they knew it. They knew it was going to happen. And, and, and now he's about to go there. He's sweating drops of blood, and they're asleep. I'm thinking like, what, what did you eat, or what did you drink, or what have you done? You're in youth ministry. How many all-nighters have you been to? Like, why are you not awake at Jesus' finest, most crucial hour? But it says in Luke's account, is the only one that records it this way. He says that they were exhausted from sorrow. Has life ever hit you in a way that you felt just wiped out from sadness? They couldn't pray not because they didn't want to pray, not because there wasn't a will to pray, but they were exhausted from sorrow. And Jesus said, why are you sleeping? He asked them, get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. I think it's just amazing that Jesus would go to pray and it was usual for him. That it was his custom. That's what he did. The, the Bible teaches this in the New Testament. It says Jesus withdrew to a lonely place or, or Jesus withdrew to a private place or Jesus went up on the mountain to pray. Jesus was praying a lot. Uh, this has really worked well in my Christian life is if Jesus did it and I do it, it usually works. Okay, so I, I want to, anybody remember those old bracelets, what would Jesus do? Uh, we need to like bring those back. What would Jesus do? Jesus prayed all the time. It, prayer is not this fancy, pre-constructed speech that you give to God. Prayer is as simple as talking to him. Prayer is connection to him. And Jesus connected with God through prayer all of the time. It was his usual custom. It was his usual custom. I, I'm, like, I'm kind of like a routine guy. I like, I like to do things the same way. I find a good system, and I stick with it. And uh, any routine people out there, you like to do the same thing? I, I can eat the same thing almost every meal. Every day, I mean, it's just like, man, it's like clockwork. It works. It fills me up. It tastes good. Why don't we do it again? I, I, like, I don't like to make a lot of decisions. I go to Cheesecake Factory, and when I'm on page 127, I'm like, no. I'm leaving. I'm done. I'm going to In-N-Out. It's like, I like to... I like the simple choices. I mean, it's like there's too many pages. That's, that's too many options. I'm, I'm, I'm a routine guy. I got, my, I, got my, I got my routine about my life. My, my wife, a couple months ago, she said, Jamie, she said, um, she said, you know when you're getting dressed, like you always like do this pose in front of the mirror before you leave. And I'm like, Jamie, no, I do not. And she goes, no, for real. She said, by the time you change your shirt for like the third time, she gives me a hard time about that. I'm just trying to find the right one. And, uh, and, and, and she's like, by the time you change, you come into the mirror and then you do this. And I, I, I'm like, Jamie, honestly, I don't do that. 
there is no way that I would, first of all, that looks ridiculous, okay? Like, there's no way I'm doing that kind of a pose in front of the mirror. And, and, and so we agreed to disagree. And the next morning I got up and I was, I was changing, showered, and I put the shirt on, didn't like it, took it off, got a different shirt on, came from the mirror and I did. I'm like, what? What did I do? Like, what am I doing? My hands? Like, what am I posing for? She was right. She was right. It's my routine. It's what I do. It's what I do. I got two boys, six and six and eight. And, and right now, we, we do little powwows about our parenting every once in a while. We're like, we feel pretty good right now. Okay, so we don't know how it's going to pan out yet. You know, we're believing it's going to, like, we're going to keep on. But right now, six and eight, like, we're like, we're doing all right, except for one glaring flaw. We have one area in our parenting that we have completely dropped the ball, and it's in their eating. And I'm passionate about clean eating. I'm passionate about healthy food. And my boys are like hypocrites to our family. <laughs> and it's my fault. And, and I can't even tell you what to eat because it's like, it's, I don't know if it's me like vicariously living through them. Like I want pizza, so I feed them pizza. Or I want ice cream, so I feed them. And I, I'm just like, oh, it's so good, right? Oh, man, let's try the butterscotch dip cone. I loved that one when I was your age. I, I don't know what's happening. It's bad. I got my, my doctor friend probably watching right now. Um, Dr. Matt, I love you. I failed you. This is one thing he told me. He's like, you got to eat, like, you know, good, healthy foods. And he feeds his kid, like, some, like, concoction that is, like, the most healthiest thing you could ever imagine. And his kid's, like, two, and he begs him for it. And I'm like, what did you do to that kid to get him to? He's like, oh, he doesn't even like candy. I'm like, whatever. He's like, no, he, 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 just, he just likes that spinach. Just grind up that spinach. I was like, oh, stop. So please don't email me about any advice or anything like that. Like, like just let me sit in the flaw for a little bit, okay? Like, I have failed in this area. We're going to get better. We're working on getting better. But you know what's hard now is it's been, become their habit to eat this way. So now i got to break the habit, which is going to be really hard because, as usual, Right? As they, 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 they like to eat these things because they're used to eating these things. And I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta break it now. Did you know that in your spiritual life, there should be some type of routine that becomes so usual that nothing can break it? Your time and place with God become, should become so usual that you meet with Him. It, this is what it was with Jesus. They're like, oh, there He goes again praying. It was, it was usual. It was to be expected. You know, there's a lot of things that you could look at your life and people could expect from you. But to, for someone to look at your life and expect you to be at the place of prayer like you always are, that's something maybe to try to adhere to. That's something to try to achieve. That people would look at your life and be like, oh yeah, he's up praying. That's usual. He's in his usual place. He's dependent on God. That's, that's usual. You know, in, in, the, in the book of Luke, it's interesting. When Jesus was born, we, we know this for, as his upbringing and throughout the Gospels, we see this, that Jesus never doubted about why he was on earth. Jesus was not flitting around like some of us, like trying to find ourselves. Jesus came on purpose for a purpose. He knew that he was here. He knew he was going to die. In fact, he talked about it in his earthly ministry. He would tell his disciples over and over again, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be killed. Three days later, I'm going to raise from the dead. Which again, I judged the disciples a little bit for this because like, after he was killed, wouldn't you remember? Like He said he was going to be killed, and then he's going to be raised from the dead. But they ran for their lives. Like, did, you for did you forget? But then I think sometimes we forget. 
some of the basic things that Jesus teaches us too, like, like in this world you're going to have trouble. Take heart, overcome, overcome the world. And they're like, why are we having trouble? And Jesus is like, whoa, these guys, like, we got we to start at the elementary stages with these folks. Like, they, they forgot. Jesus told them, but Jesus never had confusion about why he came. There was no doubt in him if he was going to fulfill his purpose or not. There was, no, there was no uncertainty if he was going to obey God or not. He came to die. That's why he came. Luke chapter 9, this is all the way. We, we read Luke 22. Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, it was getting close, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. I love this. I like this picture that Jesus knew why he came, and then all of a sudden one day the time's getting close, and it's like game face. I love sports and athletics and, 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 and all of that. And I just mean game phase. It's just like, oh, man, my boys had a great day of soccer yesterday. I was like, yes. I was so happy. My, my oldest son, Judy, had his game face on. I'm like, that's my boy. Like, yes, that's all I'm talking about. We were driving over here from Frisco. I just preached in that service. And, and Phil told me, he said, Pastor, put your game face on. I'm like, whoa, bro, was it bad, the other services or what? He pumped me up. I'm like, all right, all right, I got you. I got you. Let's go. Let's go. He pumped me up. But you can't, Jesus had his game face on because he was about to fulfill the purpose in which he came to earth to fulfill. That's a big deal. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 19. Now this is, this Sunday represents, this was the triumphal entry. This was what we would call Palm Sunday. It's beginning of Holy Week. You could call it Palm Sunday. Some people call it Passion Sunday, which I like that. I like a little bit of passion. It says, Palm Sunday, Passion is beginning of Holy Week which begins one of the most beautiful series of events of our Christian faith, that Jesus would go through this week. Friday, he would be crucified. On Sunday morning, he would be raised from the dead. It's, it, it, it's beautiful. And when Jesus came in, it's the triumphal entry, Luke chapter 22, they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, right? This is, this is this whole story. Jesus had no confusion on why he was coming into Jerusalem. He had, he had no uncertainty on if he was going to obey or not. Now, that's really important for our text today because we read in Luke chapter 22 that he said, if this cup can pass from me, then let it. But I want you to know this. Jesus wasn't trying to figure out if he would obey or not. Jesus understood something about prayer that you and I need to learn, and it's this, that when we talk to God, we bring him into our situation. When you pray, you pull God into your current situation. Many people struggle outside of God. But God's plan is that you would struggle with God. That you, by prayer, prayer is your vehicle, it is your connection piece to God. That we would talk to God, that we would connect to God, that we would pull him into the struggle. Jesus was not wavering in the garden. Will I obey or will I not? Will I go through with this or will I not? He was real and vulnerable with the humanity side of him that said, wow, this is going to be painful. This is going to be tough. If there's another way, I'll take it. But nevertheless, your will be done. Prayer is so powerful. Prayer, and Jesus teaches this through the story. Prayer, he taught about a prayer that overcomes. A prayer that overcomes. Overcomes what? Overcomes temptation. This is what he says. He said, pray that you will not fall into temptation. But this is a good antidote for temptation for all of us. Anybody ever been tempted? 
He says, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Jesus said, pray not that you wouldn't feel tempted. He said, pray that you don't fall into temptation, not that you wouldn't feel tempted. Some people feel condemnation because they feel tempted. No, when you feel tempted, you should pray so that you don't fall into temptation. You're not a sinner because you're tempted to sin. But in the place of weakness, we pray so that we don't fall into. That prayer is connection and dependence to God. Prayer that overcomes. Jesus teaches that the antidote to falling into temptation is praying. And we, some of y'all better be praying all the time. <laughs> if you're tempted, pray. It's like, what, did the, what does the gospel say, or the, the New Testament says, uh, pray without ceasing? Right? That's somebody who's been tempted a lot. It's like, man, it's just praying all the time. Praying without, prayer that overcomes. Prayer that reveals. Reveals what? Reveals God's will. This is interesting. In the garden, Jesus is, is talking, and this is his prayer. He says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. In his prayer, the will of God is being revealed. How? By him laying down his and picking up God's. It's probably one of the most difficult things to do in our Christian life is to consistently and daily lay down what we want and pick up what he wants to do. It, it, it is how Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, Luke chapter 11, when they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. We talked about this last week. They didn't say, Jesus, teach us to do miracles. Jesus, teach us how to raise the dead. They said, teach us how to pray because we, because we understand that when you pray, these things happen. Teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, okay, when you pray, say, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Prayer reveals the will of God. The secret to powerful prayer is found in the words, yet not my will, but yours be done. Too many people have taught, too many people have believed for too long that God is a genie in the bottle, and if I pray the right prayer, I'll get the right thing. Friends, the Word of God is very clear, what God does and what He wants to do. So if you want powerful prayer, you've got to get in agreement with what He's already said. And when you can begin to pray what He wants, He begins to do what He said He's going to do. I think too many people get concerned about the results so they don't obey him in the prayer. Well, I don't want to pray for healing because what if God doesn't do it? Well, that's God's problem. That's God's problem. And we got to stop making excuses for God. You, 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 ever, you ever ask for prayer, you know, and, and pray for healing and you don't get healed and someone said something like, you must not have enough faith. Well, that feels amazing, doesn't it? It's like, well, now I need spiritual healing and physical healing because now I got all kinds of shame. And, like, well, hold on a second. We serve a loving God, and we are coming in agreement with his word, and if I read my Bible correctly, he doesn't say if you have perfect faith, then you'll be healed. My Bible says if you've got a seed of faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to a mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and it will be done so. So it's not about perfect faith. It's having some faith, and we've got to believe God at his word. So I have to let my kingdom go, his kingdom come. 
I've got to understand and come into agreement with what God is doing. Prayer is a constant what God is doing. Prayer is a constant laying down of our will and coming into agreement with His. Prayer that reveals. And Jesus taught this. There's a prayer that perseveres. I, I think this is really powerful because I see a lot of believers that give up too soon. You know, our, our grandparents would probably probably taught this if they grew up in the church. They taught this acronym, P-U-S-H, push. Pray until something happens. You ever heard that before? That's, a, that's my, my, one of my grandma's go-tos right there. Pray until, we don't just pray. They, they used to have pray, prayer meetings that they called tarrying, and you would pray through. We, we don't even know what praying through is anymore. We're, we're happy if we pray. So we don't, we don't understand pray until something happens. We just, when something happens, we pray, and we hope for something. No, no. We pray in accordance with God's will, in agreement with what he said, until something happens. You have no idea what prayer is going to bring the breakthrough. You have no idea what moment of you standing and you believing that God's going to break through and bring deliverance. You shouldn't give up after one time praying. You should ask and keep on asking. You should seek and keep on seeking. You should knock and keep on knocking. Because you have no idea when that faith is going to break into a miracle right before your eyes. Pray until something happens. When something happens, pray. No, pr pray until something happens. Prayer that perseveres through pain. Verse 44, it said, And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Listen, this pain is an invitation to pray. Every time you feel pressure, every time you feel pain, there should be an automatic switch that goes on in your head that, oh, ouch, I need to pray. Oh, that's stressful. I need to pray. Not, not when you're totally broken, not when you get reminded here or there, but just the, the presence of pressure should be a reminder for you to pray, to invite God just like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane, to invite God into your situation. I'm going to invite him in. I'm going to invite him. We read this. In the beginning, but in verse 45, it says, When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. I was praying this week, and this part of the scripture just resonated in my heart because I think there's a lot of people that are watching, you're in the room, that you've just had parts of your heart that just been, well, you just fell, in a, fell asleep in some areas because of sadness. It's, it's like if you go into major surgery, you know, there's some things they can numb. There's some surgeries that are like, you gotta, we got to put you out. The pain's too great for you to be awake for this. we got to put you out. You know, your, your, your body emotionally sometimes recognizes pain that's too great and goes to sleep. The disciples were so saddened, were so exhausted by sorrow, they went to sleep. And Jesus came and he said, wake up. Wake up and pray. And I felt like part of my assignment today was to encourage some people that maybe some dreams have fallen asleep, maybe some passion has fallen asleep, maybe some vision has fallen asleep, maybe there's been some disappointments in relationships where you just get, you just fallen asleep in that area, or you used to believe big, but now it's just like life has kind of made you believe for a little less than what you used to believe for, so you've just fallen asleep in that. I feel like 
God wants to just awaken us. Wake up and, and pray. Wake up and pray. What's the antidote to sleeping in sorrow? Waking up and praying because prayer pulls God into your situation. Prayer doesn't fix everything. Prayer pulls God into my situation. And when I come to God with your will be done, your kingdom come, then I can say, God, I, all I need is you. I don't need all the circumstances to align the way that I want. All I need is you. And if I can pull you into my situation, that's all I need. There's a scripture in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 that I love that I want to show you. And, and I want to just, I want to just like pull it apart. You can put it up on the screen if you want. It says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. I want you to see something. This is awesome. It says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up. Okay, this is important. How Jesus prayed is important. If Jesus prayed some way, that's the way I want to pray. What would Jesus do? How would Jesus pray? Says he was characterized in his prayer life by prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears. So Jesus was a pretty intense prayer. So that's how he prayed. But it doesn't say it was the reason that he was heard. This is, re this is, really, this is really important. It says he was heard because of his reverent submission. Now, if you don't get both sides of the scripture, you will think that because Jesus prayed with fervent cries and tears, that the reason that Jesus hears me is because of fervent cries and tears. And you will think that by your volume or by your desperation or by your intensity that you might sway God. No, that, that is a way that I pray, but it's not why I am heard. The reason that I am heard as a prayer is because of my reverent submission to God. It is my belief, it is my theology that says your will be done, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That reverent submission is the power for me to be heard. But we can't neglect the way that Jesus prayed. So I want to pray the way that he prayed, but I want to have the understanding of the why he was heard. So I want to pray with fervent prayers and cries, but I don't want to get it switched, and I don't want to get it confused that it's my fervent cries that make God hear me. God's not deaf. I used to have a, I used to have a, uh, I was going to say mentor, it wasn't really a mentor, like a leader, youth leader, um, that used to tell me, because I'm a loud prayer, hey, God's not deaf. Like, yeah, I get it. I got it. I got it. I like to pray loud. Jesus prayed loud too. Fervent cries and tears. But if you get it confused theologically and believe that something you can do and you're striving and you're crying is going to move God's hand, you, you've missed the equation. The equation is your kingdom come, your will be done. Your reverent submission is what gives power to be heard. That's powerful. This is powerful. I want both. I want fervent cries in prayer because that's, that's the how I pray. But the why I'm heard is because I'm submitted to his plan. You know, it's interesting. We're going to take communion today. Luke chapter 22, in the earlier scriptures, in the earlier verses, it's the Last Supper. They're sitting around the table, and Jesus, once again, is telling them what's about to happen. He's like, I'm going to be arrested. They're going to kill me. 
I'm going to be raised from the dead, right? And, and he, takes, he takes the cup that represents his blood. I, lo- I, I love the, the symbolism in communion. He takes the bread that's broken that represents his body that we've broken for our healing. There's been a lot of speculation on when we read in Luke 22 when he says, let this cup, Jesus said, let this cup pass from me. What was that cup? I want to tell you what the cup was. It's, it's, it's precious, really. Because the cup of anguish was all of the pain, the shame, the sin, the disappointment, the depression, the weight, the oppression of the world, not just our known world, of all humanity that Jesus was choosing to partake in. And he knew that on the cross, when he would drink of the cup, or he would partake, or he would lay his life down, that he would take upon himself, the Bible says he was cursed with a curse, that he would take upon himself the sin of all mankind, and for the first time in his life, he would be separated from God. So why the anguish in the garden? Because he was going to willingly take into himself the sin of the world so that he would be separated so that you and I would not be. He willingly chose to be separated so you and I would never be separated from God. And all of the mistakes I've made and all the mistakes you've made and all of the sins. You ever felt guilty for something? Think about all that guilt for the entire world, for all of humanity. Jesus took that on himself so that me and you would never have to be separated from God. That was, that was the anguish in the garden, was knowing what he was about to willingly do and what he's about to willingly feel. It was never about if he would do it or if he wouldn't. And in the place of greatest anguish, he got to be more human, more manlike than ever before, and he prayed. You see God, Jesus, in all his divinity, in all his humanity. It was his humanity that died on that cross. Just in case you're wondering, it was not Jesus, the God-man, God, the God in his divinity, and the feeling no pain. It was Jesus, the human, the man that took on flesh, that felt that pain, that felt that anguish, and brought it upon himself. And in the place of greatest anguish, he cried out to God. If Jesus prayed when he felt that, we should pray. When, he, when, we, when we feel anguish or pressure or stress, you are a house of prayer. You are a house of prayer. Jesus wasn't wavering in his obedience. He was bringing his feelings about the obedience to God. He pulled God right into his situation. I just felt like we should close this way, and then we're going to close with communion. But I want to take a couple minutes as before we dismiss, and I want to pull God into our current situation. I don't know what you're dealing with, what you're walking through, the season of life that you're in. Maybe everybody thinks you're doing great, but you got some area of your heart maybe you fell and fallen asleep in. But I want to, I want to challenge us in, in for the next 30 seconds to just connect with God. Would you stand up with me all across this place? And the band's going to sing, and I, I just want us just to take a minute and just, just connect with God. How do we connect with God? It's what we've been talking about. It's, it's prayer. It's talking to Him. It's not some perfectly fabricated, written out prayer. It's, it's just the vulnerability and authenticity of your own heart.
I said this in, in Frisco, we were talking about it on the ride over here, that you know the only reason that God would ever want your pain is not to put it on display, not to make you feel shame, not so I could see it, not so anybody else could see it. The only reason that he wants to be pulled into your pain and that pain to be uncovered and awakened is so that he can heal it. The only reason that God wakes something up is to heal it. And I know for many people, maybe in the room, you're saying, man, I don't want, I don't want to wake that up. That was my past. I don't want to wake that up. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to deal with it. Can I just tell you something? Our counselor, Jesus, can do something in a moment that would take human counselors 20 years to do. And we love counseling. We go to counseling. We believe in it. But I'm going to tell you, we serve a supernatural God. We serve a supernatural God that loves you and cares about you. And even in a moment like this, could wake up an event or wake up an idea or a mindset and heal in a second that thing that's been plaguing you or that thing that's been asleep. And I, I'm just going to tell you what Jesus said. He said, wake up. Wake up and pray. 